a reverse of polarity of the neutron flow, and all I got was the Doctor Who podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 320 of the Doctor Who podcast. I'm James and I'm joined by Phil. Hello, Phil. Hello, James. It's good to be back. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, I I don't know why I felt the need to introduce myself there. I I suddenly became aware. Actually, I do know why I introduced myself. I, I became aware a little while ago. We often start these episodes and somewhere along the line, I mention your name. And then possibly you might mention mine. But if you're a new listener, you won't know who we are. So there you are. Officially, my name is James. Hello, listeners. Nice to meet you. Yes, nice to meet you, listeners. I think it's very remiss of us, actually. It's pre-recording um, conversations, I think. That, that's why we forget to introduce ourselves. We've already done it for each other, haven't we? So. Well, I suppose so. And also, because we record so much, obviously we know who each other are. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, it's a bit silly, really, isn't it? Well, and a lot of the time, these things do just feel like they're conversations rather than, than, than podcasts. So we... Um, there yeah. we go. You got some inside baseball that's totally dull before we get um, into the juicy <laughs> stuff, which obviously is all about our favourite Gallifreyan. And um, I, I think, I, do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna try and pull it back, Phil. I'm gonna be go on, sli- go on. I'm gonna be slightly <laughs> professional now, and say coming up in episode 320. There you go. Something I've never done. Well before. done. Well done. <laughs> we have something called Eighth Wonder to introduce to you. Well, what is Eighth Wonder? Yes, what is Eighth Wonder, James? Well, we'll find out, Phil. (laughs) We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, On the theme of Eight, uh, you've been watching some Blu-ray that was uh, released last week, as we recalled. Yes, the uh, the Blu-ray season eight box set. Woo! Yes, I've um, delved into some some of the extras, and I have. I I will sort of come to that a bit later, actually, because I have watched the the remastered. An updated special effects for Terror of the Autons. Oh, I'm very keen to have a discussion with you about that. Yes, yes. Yeah. I've not seen it yet, but I'm still... You haven't seen <laughs> it. <laughs> but, I, but, but I will. Oh, James, don't forget, we've also got the main part of the show. The reason we're here is Drew's Desert Island Who. Right, so James, would you like to tell me, and, and the listeners actually, what is our upcoming series, Eighth Wonder, all about? Well, yes. Now, you know, listeners, we, we have several little segments in our regular DWPs. Well, we thought we would actually create, just temporarily, or at least to start with, a new range of podcasts. And this is all going to be focused around Big Finish. Now, listeners, of the DWP will know that you and I really enjoy audio drama. They'll also know mm-hmm. that you haven't listened to 90% of your collection. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, or 90% I'm, of Big Finish's output either, well, actually. So. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm not much different. And even if I was, uh, the rate of release um, is, is so difficult to keep up with. But 
we decided to introduce a segment and it was kind of inspired by Brent, uh, I must say, mm-hmm. so that we can make a distinct effort to start listening to a few more of these uh, these plays. And Brent has never listened to Dark Eyes before. Now, Dark Eyes was Big Finish's first big box set uh, for the Eighth Doctor. So it comprises mm-hmm. four stories, um, but <laughs> after that, set was released they announced a further three sets each of which consisted of a further four stories so there's 16 episodes to dark eyes and we have decided to review each episode one at a time one episode at a time so the very first episode is called the great war set in the first world war <laughs> france oh, that was the, uh, yes laugh a minute that was wasn't it yeah yeah when, yeah. when you're um <laughs> When you're down and miserable, as the Eighth Doctor is at the end of um, To the Death, or <laughs> then absolutely, the first place you'll go is to one of the most bloodiest battlefields since Trenzalore, yes. you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, Brent and I and uh, Michelle have recorded um, four reviews of, of Dark Eyes, and we're going to be releasing them once every two days. Now, we don't quite know when we're going to start yet because, listeners, we wanted to give you the opportunity to listen to Dark Eyes with us. So this is your opportunity. Go and buy Dark Eyes from the Big Finish website. Listen to episode one only and then wait, (laughs) probably beginning or middle of April, I reckon, for our episodes that we're going to release once every two days so we really want you to be part of this experience um send us your thoughts and emails about what you thought of the story and we'll incorporate those on a future show as well so eighth wonder coming your way very very soon I'm going to call you Dark Eyes. Are you looking for a punch on the nose? So you've been here before. You wouldn't consider killing me, would you? Molly, this is 1940. 1940? What do you mean? I told you the TARDIS is a time machine. 1940? Sure. It's true. You did say something of the kind. This is it. Strikes us old boy. This will be one for the history books. It's all right. I get it. You're fighting a war against these Daleks. I don't want to be fighting a war. And it's getting you down. I understand that. But it doesn't mean you should give up. Doesn't it? Doctor, you will be exterminated! I know! No, we haven't discovered time travel. But we've discovered a time traveller. Who? Him. The Doctor. What do you mean? You can take this thing anywhere in history. Anywhere in the world. And beyond? Beyond the world? What? You mean, like the moon and the sun? I'm looking forward to that, James, because, yes, I've I've listened to Dark Eyes 1, uh, despite your... Uh, your comment that I haven't listened to a lot of my <laughs> my finished collection. This is part of the 10%. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm very much looking forward to that. And hopefully, when, when we recall the, the other... The other twelve episodes, I'll be able to uh, to join in also with a, with with a review. I'm very much hoping the entire DWP team will get involved in that in some way. The the, the problem is, it's not something you can just join halfway through. I'll <laughs> I'll pick it up in Dark Eyes three because if you listen to episode one of Dark Eyes three without the first two series, forget it. Yes, it won't make a lick of sense, will it? So, um, which is why I've listened to Dark Eyes three because I don't have Dark Eyes two. <laughs> <laughs> this is already becoming far too difficult to keep track of. 
the Blu-ray collection season eight um, was released. I think it was eighth of March, wasn't it? I think it was in the UK. Certainly, it is another box set of absolute beauty. Um, it, it really mm. is. Uh, it's another absolutely cracking collection put together. As I usually do with these uh, boxes, I tend to dive into the um, into the extras first. Um, but I think I've, the one thing I really want to talk about was the uh, Terror of the Autons with the updated special effects. Okay. Um, now, what's been updated? Now, you haven't watched this, have you? I've not seen Terror of the Autons for a very long time. Right, okay. Well, what they've... I think what people can remember most about Terror of the Autons was the overuse of CSO. Uh, yes. Story. Yes, I do yes. remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So you had the, in particular, the CSO kitchen. <laughs> I do remember, remember the that. kitchen, and I remember yep. this little morph-like troll thing. Yes. Now that was obviously a man in a suit against the blue screen, mm. um, and very obviously uh, that you know that's what it was. Now, what they've done, they've cleaned up the CSO quite a bit, so it's not as you haven't got like the the, the blurred outlines. You can you still tell it is CSO. They haven't sort of removed that um, that feel completely, but it doesn't look quite as bad as it did. Um, I say back in the day because I suppose when you're watching it on an old television, 1971. It probably didn't stand out that much. It's just when now you're looking at it on a high definition screen, on hmm. on or even on DVD, it looks bad. That's the thing. But they fixed it, and they've they've done it, but to to a point where it doesn't take away from the fact that it is CSO. If you see what I mean. Yeah. No. Uh, I, th- yeah. I think I think so. Is, is it still the same kitchen? It's the same kitchen. Yes. Right. They've they just they just tidied up the picture. So they've made it much more authentic. Yes, indeed. But you can still tell it's CSO, if you see what I mean. Yeah, it's got to be quite yeah. hard to get away from, I imagine. I, it is, it is. Um, mm. but, the, uh, the, the, but as you said, the little the dull thing, that's now a total CGI creation. Oh, it's, um, it's still recognisable, is it? Um, yes, mm. um, yeah. But uh, they've done an absolutely fantastic job on it. Oh, you can imagine they haven't got a fantastic budget to play around with. Um but it looks really good. And the movement's a lot more fluid. So it was before, I think, the, I, I don't know whether I think to undercrank the, the, the film somewhat, um, I think, on the, um, in the original one, because these movements are very sort of jerky and, and, and fast um, back in the original cut. But this is, um, no, it, it's a really, really good job. Um, I was really, because sometimes the, you think, oh, the CGI, why bother? It doesn't look that good or it doesn't add anything, but this time it does. I felt it, it, it did add something to it. Well, generally speaking, I am a fan of the updated special effects. Um, yeah. I, I do enjoy it, I have to say. And, and I think provided they release the stories with the option of turning it off so you can watch it as yeah. transmitted, then quite honestly, any kind of novel or novelty enhancement i'm i'm up for and, and yeah. that, that that ranges from like you know the special editions that they did of a couple of davison shows uh many yeah. many years ago on the dvds all all the way through to you know complete revamping of um of special effects that just look you know of their time um yeah the, the yeah. time it doesn't work quite as well is, is where you've got a story that feels dated for other reasons 
um, than the special effects. So, uh, you know, yeah. So yeah, it it, ten, it tends to make them stand out, doesn't it? Too much. It's sort yeah. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it sort of takes you out of the story, you know, because you say the story's dated anyway. Then you've got these flashy, up to date effects, which which just takes you out of it completely. It doesn't really. quite yeah. work. Although they can be updated, and I think that's great. They still need to be congruent with the you know source material and uh, yeah. you know day of the yeah. daleks i have to say i i think works really really well and um, yes. I, I very much like that, uh, that that version of the story but but sticking with season eight um you you say you've delved into some of the extras or the value-added material as well um and there's been an awful lot of love um about the terence dicks documentary Yes. Now that's hosted by the most famous Doctor Who fan I know, Frank Skinner. Oh, a friend of the show, Frank Skinner. Ah, right. Okay. Yes, of course. Of course. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so he's um, so he gets together with a, like a round table of various like Who alumni and, and, and sort of authors, um, just discussing sort of Terence Dick's influence on them as writers and also their own sort of personal stories of working alongside Terence Dix or mm. getting advice from him when they were writing for Doctor Who or, or for the the uh, New Adventures range or you know for something like that um but it really is a nice loving tribute to Terence Dix and just how much he influenced a hell of a lot of people um and I think I think when he when he passed away I thought well yeah he was the it brought back so many memories of oh, go, me going to my local library mm. Going for all the um, like the the, the target novelizations, it was always the Terence Dick one, Dick's ones I, I kind of went to, and that sort of got me into reading. And I think it was the same for a lot of people. And that 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 comes across in this documentary, okay, um, as yeah. well. Um, and it sort of finishes off with Frank Skinner interviewing um, his, his uh, Terence Dick's widow, and then going up into the room where he used to write. Um, but the amazing thing was Frank Skinner didn't actually realise that he lived on the same street. What as Terence Dix? Oh wow! Yeah, and when he when uh, but he, he said when he was alive, he didn't he didn't pluck up the courage to go knock on his door and just say what a you know what a fan he was. Wow. And okay. He, well, yeah. that's that's interesting. I have to say. So it sounds yeah. like it's it, it's got quite a personal perspective or personal touch to the documentary. Yes, it, it really has. Um, okay. Interesting. It, it's a, yeah, it's really nice. Actually, it's a really nice tribute. I was lucky enough to interview Terence for the DWP some time ago yeah. and he spent virtually the entire interview correcting my questions and uh, <laughs> I, I, I ended up having to cut a number of my questions because he, he he'd say nope it didn't work like that and I go well okay uh, but <laughs> it, it, it was fun to speak to and uh, he, he signed my um, copy of uh, the three doctors at the BFI as well so but no it's, it's good oh, that he's got um, some space on one of these Blu-ray sets uh, yes. celebrating his tenure on uh, on Who because um, whether or not you like it or dislike his his influence, he he was pivotal um, in yeah. the show's direction for for quite yeah. a long time. It's, it's actually a sort of sort of come back to what we discussed um, sort of begin when we we're talking about this particular um, box set because the the very first Target novelization that I took out of the library when I was a child was actually Terror of the Autons. Oh, well, there you go. Some kind of, yeah. I was going to say full circle, but that's another story. That's another story, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, anyway, um, we, we ought to move on, um, but we, we may come back to season eight um, and, and discuss that again once I've had an opportunity to 
to start watching some of it. I'm still halfway through season 23 at the moment, so... <laughs> <laughs> And now we have another in our series of Desert Island Who, and this is this is a whopper. This one's an absolute whopper. This one features Drew in conversation with James. So James, over to you. What could you watch? What could you take? On a never-ending mini break. What could you watch until the end of time? Cause of access or partners in crime. It's time for you to choose. Desert Island Who Welcome one and all to our virtual desert island. I think this is our third trip to this mythical, ethereal, actually quite tranquil, pretend desert island. Uh, and, and this time I'm joined by Drew. Now, Drew, I, I've got as much mileage out of the joke Desert Island Drew as I possibly can. Uh, how how many more times do you think I can come up with it and it sound marginally amusing? Oh, it assuming it did at all. Yeah, I was gonna say it's never been amusing. I mean, I I I, I mean, I think you got two more in you, but you have to space them. You have to use them sparingly. <laughs> yeah, I only have about three jokes you know, in, in, in real life. So I, I was really excited when I thought of another one. I couldn't just use it once, you see. So. Sure, sure, sure. Anyway, uh, I, I've been looking forward to, uh, to this particular section because I, th- I think it's probably true to say that uh, of, of all of my co-hosts, I know the least about your, uh, your, your Who fandom. So which sections you like, which you, which you don't. Um, and I know next to nothing about... You know how you celebrate your fandom. You know whether you read books or whether you listen to audios. So this this is going to come as as much as a surprise to me as it will to our listeners. Um, and and just to remind you, listeners, I I have no idea uh, what Drew is going to come up with. I think without any further preamble, we'll, we'll rectify that right now, and I'll I'll ask you, Drew, what is your choice for a classic Who story? You know, this is this is interesting too because I, I I love this kind of stuff and huh. and uh, I I feel like I get too overindulgent in the thought process of deciding, you know, like okay, well, what if I was stuck on a desert island and I only had one thing? What, what are the qualifications? Do I just go by favorite or do I go with the longest running because I could use it for the longest time? Of course, it would have to be war games, but it's not war games. Uh, I am going to have to go with something that I figure if I'm stuck on a desert island, I want to be amused. Uh, and so I'm going to go with one of the more humorous and I think creative stories in Doctor Who, and that's The City of Death. What year is this? Oh, well, yeah. well it's 1979, actually. More of a table wine, shall we say. <laughs> Randomizer is a useful device, but it lacks true discrimination. Shall we sip it and see? Oh, I'd be delighted. Shall we take the lift or fly? Let's not be ostentatious. All right, let's fly then. That would look silly. We'll take the lift. Come on. Aha. Uh-huh. I, th- I think the fourth Doctor era is many fans' go-to era. I mean, I, there's nothing clever about saying that. I, I, I think um, if, if you completely disregard fandom, certainly within the UK, you talk about Doctor Who to somebody who is just aware of the show and they'll instantly think of Tom Baker. 
um, and, and therefore perhaps perhaps it's not unexpected that you um you aim for that era as well well i think that your your thought process is is very correct but it it has nothing to do with tom baker uh so much as it does in fact i find that most of my selections rarely have anything to do with the doctor themselves but more about the story you're exactly right in america because of the pbs and having the the kind of the reruns early on when i think of the doctor i almost always think of tom baker just across the board mm-hmm. even in even with new who but uh this is just a great story i f- i find it to be so this is and i f- it's it's almost even frustrating that you you mentioned uh tom baker being the go-to because the other story i would have picked is also a tom baker story <laughs> uh which is the horror of fang rock and it was between the two i was trying to decide on but i think or Fang Rock might be the tightest four-parter script-wise out there, mm. but it's not really an uplifting story, and there's just so much joy uh, in most of City of Death. I think the running around Paris bits it can get a little old, but um, but I, it's, it's not overdone. How much of that do you think is due to the story, or is it more the clearly there's something slightly more going on uh, behind the scenes between Tom Baker and Lana Ward, and that translates. Well, I think their chemistry is really good, but I think both of them are... The chemistry with the script is really what it is. It's the story. I find the story engaging. I Hmm. like a good time travel story. It's a show about time travel sometimes, and uh, when it's done well, like it is with this story... I think that's when I feel I'm most engaged with Doctor Who. I'm a story guy, first and foremost. I have to uh, empathize with the characters, and I have to enjoy watching them. Uh, but this, if the story isn't good, it doesn't matter to me how good the actors are, how well they're going along with each other. I, if I get bored with the story, I'll turn it off. And this is a good story. It's a smart story. There's a lot of humor involved. Uh, the dialogue is snappy. And, and, it, and it helps that you have very capable actors delivering that dialogue but this is this is good this is and this is really feels like douglas adams to me that it's without a doubt yeah i mean it's this is this has got douglas adams through it like some kind of lettering through a a piece of rock um it's Mm -hmm. a it's a story that i really enjoy for many of the reasons that you've already mentioned time travel absolutely at its core uh the doctor behaving in a way that is genuinely funny He's inaccessible to the characters he interacts with, but very easy to empathise with as a viewer. And the dynamic between all of the leads here, uh, including Duggan, who I have to say is probably, you know, just waiting a series uh, of his own from Big Finish. I'm surprised they haven't done the Duggan adventures yet. I mean, I'd, I'd tune in for that, I have to say. So you can imagine the furore. Furore. The whole art world in an uproar. Masterpieces that apparently have been missing for centuries are just turning up all over the place. All fakes, of course. They've got to be, haven't they? Haven't they? Are they? They're very, very good ones. They stand up to every scientific test. Really? What, the only connection all this is the Count? Yes. So? Nothing dirty can be proved, though. He's clean. Absolutely clean. So clean he stinks. He isn't clean anymore. The Countess has the bracelet. I would be remiss too, and I think you know there's people listening who are going, well, you know, it's not just a Douglas Adams script, and you're absolutely right, it's not just a Douglas Adams script. David Fisher, mm. you know, started this process off, and because of 
technical difficulties. It is a combination between those, and I guess Graham Williams as well. So I think it really needs to be acknowledged to David Fisher, who is a, one of my favorite scriptwriters for Doctor Who, is also a part of this. And I think that collaboration, those two minds who I think one is very good with plot and dialogue and the other is really good for structuring a story. And so having the two of them combine with that uh, over a long weekend uh, is is really brings a certain light to this story. How do you find it for rewatch value? <laughs> this would be one where if my wife were here, I, I would definitely turn to her because any time that I'm watching classic Who uh, and she comes and, and sits down with me, uh, it's usually this or <laughs> the, the horror fang rock. She's like, you know, she's like, I would be willing to watch another classic episode if you wanted to watch something <laughs> different. But it always seems like this. Yeah. These are both very comforting stories for me. I mean, it, part of it is that I've I've rewatched both of them probably more than I have any other classic episode of Doctor Who, with the exception of the very first episode. You know, the Unearthly Child. I I watch at least once a year on Doctor Who mm. Day. Sometimes I'll watch it anymore. Sometimes I just, you know, if I'm feeling frustrated with the show, I, I will go back and rewatch that story just to remind myself about why I love this program. Yeah. But that's not no, the story well, we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I like the elements you talk about there that draws you back to the story. Um, and, and I've got a couple of stories that I revisit regularly for no real reason uh, I, I think to be honest with you the case for city of death uh, or, or to revisit city of death on a regular basis is easier to make and uh, i think it, it's not really that typical a story if you take a look at the stories before and afterwards i mean it, obviously it's filmed in paris you got some extensive uh, location work that the outside broadcast team clearly had fun with You've got um, Julian Glover in it, I think must be for what, the second or third story um, or, or thereabouts. And again, to attract Julian Glover and John Cleese in the same story, you know, I mean, it, it's it's pretty unique. It's almost star-studded or as close to Doctor Who in the 70s got to star-studded. And it held together because it was a fun, coherent time travel story that, um, you know, has, has really stayed in the minds of, of, of Doctor Who fans. And I think the regard in which it's held or the esteem in which it's held is, is entirely justified. And I, um, I, I do enjoy City of Death very much. In fact, it's been a very long time since I've seen it. So I may have to go back and see it fairly soon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I, I probably will do that as well um, some sometime <laughs> in the near future. I've watched very little Doctor Who during the lockdown. Uh, it's mm. it's surprising. For a show that brings me so much joy, I found that I've, I haven't rewatched almost any of it, uh, which is kind of weird, but um, maybe I'm just saving it for another time. I, I think it's circumstances sometimes as well. And uh, I, although I've spent a heck of a lot more time at home, I, I've not had the opportunity to watch as much television as, uh, as, as you might expect. And therefore, I'm in a similar position to you. I, I've only watched Doctor Who when I know I'm going to be discussing it on a, on a podcast or, or, or some, some other reason like that. I, I've been re-listening and listening to new uh, Big Finish far more, which we'll, um, we'll come on to speak about in, sure a, we will. in a short while. But um, I, I think um, 
the time has come to, to, to move on uh, 20, 30 years, perhaps, depending on which, um, which era of the new show you're going to focus on next. Uh, so what story have you chosen from New Who? Well, I think I made the suggestion that when asking a guest about what new story they want is, aside from Day of the Doctor, what new Who story <laughs> would you like to hear? Because I'm, it's, it's going to always be Day of the Doctor for me. Uh, having listened to other people's interviews and their choice, yeah, Michelle, Mi- yeah, Michelle, she got there she first. summed it up pretty well. <laughs> so just know, listeners, Day of the Doctor, a hundred percent. That is my number one comfort Doctor Who story. But it's not the Doctor Who story that I've watched the most, and and, and I feel really almost lame making this pick because it's I feel like it's kind of an obvious choice, but maybe it won't be for some people because I'm going to go with Blink. Because I think it's the best 45 minutes of television I've ever seen. I think it's possibly one of the best Doctor Who stories out there. But I don't think it's a very good Doctor Who story. I think I need to make that clear. This is not a story that you watch because it's great. The Doctor's great in it. Uh, It's just a really well-put-together, well-scripted story. And again, you know, as evidenced by my selection of City of Death... It's a good story about time travel. It's possibly one of the best episodes. And I, and I think its DNA can be seen in many other time travel shows where you start dealing with paradoxes. And, I, and it, it doesn't do anything that hasn't been done before. But I think it's a really cool story. I think it's creepy, and I think it's thought-provoking, and um, it, it does some things with time travel that, that really work for me. But... Hmm. Essentially, it's an episode of The Twilight Zone, and that uh, is another one of my favorite programs. And when I was thinking about it, it's like, no, I really should choose something that focuses on the Doctor. But I I think because it sort of sits outside of the annals of Doctor Who, like, you you know, you don't need to know much about Doctor Who to enjoy this show. And I think Mm. this particular episode, I think that's one of its strengths. I love old things. They make me feel sad. What's good about sad? It's happy for deep people. The weeping angel. Not that in my garden. It's moved. It's what? Since yesterday. I'm sure of it. It's closer. It's got closer to the house. Now, it's it's interesting how you've gone for fairly atypical episodes from both the old series and the new series i know city of death is i mean in some ways you can describe it as the absolute archetype classic doctor who story but when you look at it in context uh, certainly the time period in which it was broadcast it was fairly unusual and blink of course is is just about as far away from the formula the standard formula uh, used in modern doctor who um, as, as you can get and uh, you're right, its its strength is because of that. And I, I, I find it easy to describe as 
a really, really good 45 minutes of television as well. But I would check myself as well before describing it as a Doctor Who story. And that's mainly because although the Doctor's presence is felt throughout, obviously, it doesn't feature. Blink's existence is to remedy a problem that cropped up during production where they had to double bank an episode uh, purely for timing reasons. So they needed a script that didn't have the Doctor or the regular companion in. But Blink, again, is is successful in all of the areas in which it experiments. Um, And I think you've got a fantastic concept at, at the heart of the story, which is simply filling in dialogue from DVD extras. I mean, where on earth did Moffat come up with that from? Excuse me a sec. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. It started well, that sentence. It got away from me, yeah. Okay, that was weird. Like, you can hear me. Well, I can hear you. Okay, that's enough. I've had enough now. I've had a long day and I've had bloody enough. It wasn't a new idea. I mean, he'd, he'd run it already in a comic strip for DWM. And I think that was called something like um, The Adventures of Sally Sparrow. I can't remember now uh, the precise details. But I did go back and look at it shortly after it had broadcast. And it was years. It was years prior to. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, the it's television a good short version. story. I mean, it's a really well-told short story. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, it's not in DWM, is it? It's in a Doctor Who annual. It's I an annual. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like how Sally spent her summer or something like something along those lines yeah, yeah that sounds that sounds much more accurate than my instant recall anyway <laughs> uh, but Kerry Mulligan again I mean talk about chance you right. know uh, absolutely brilliant where is she now you know more right. successful than any actor that has ever played the doctor yeah I it's such an interesting thing and I think it's actually to the show's benefit because if Kerry Mulligan hadn't been successful um and it would have been no fault of her own. But uh, had she had not been successful, we probably would have gotten her back for a future episode. And just like the Weeping Angels, we would have just had diminishing returns because yeah. she's never never going to be as good as she was in that point. And we don't need to see what happened to her in the future. We don't need to see the extended of that story. Like She is a perfect gem that exists solely in this one place in time. She's a fixed point and... And anything else that we did to it would have, would just make it a lesser story. I agree entirely. And I can't recall a story, I would say, in the last five years of Who that have come up with so many innovative, creative concepts in the same story. And they've worked so well together. You know, I, I know that may well be debatable. Um, and if I gave it a bit more thought, perhaps, perhaps I could come up with something. But Blink, you know, it's it's just... It's so many home runs. Yeah. I think Jamie Matheson's, several of Jamie Matheson's scripts uh, during the Capaldi area came very close to creating kind of that new buzz. I mean, I think Flatline's brilliant. I think Mummy on the Orient Express, both of those are stories that mm-hmm. I, I I considered for this. And, and in fact, the if I was afraid that you had been like, look, you can't choose Blink, all right? Like, it's too obvious. Don't don't choose Blink. Choose something else. And I was like, okay, well, fine. Uh, uh, Flesh and Stone and Time of the Angels. You know, like, that is another one where I think they do take the concept of the Angels. They did something new with it. I appreciated what they did with it. I had River Song, in a, who I think is one of my favorite characters in all of Doctor Who's history. Matt mm-hmm. Smith, who's my favorite Doctor. 
is in that one. There's, you know, I have such a crush on Ian Glenn. He's in that one. He does a terrific job. Uh, that story completely changed the way we watched Doctor Who, and it was something in a way that I, I kind of hate Moffat for because nobody watched Doctor Who after that two-parter in the same way because you can't. Every, you have to pick up on every... Oh, it was a mistake. It's not a mistake? Oh, God, now we have to watch Doctor Who and and, and note everything and, and make predictions. And Oh, I don't miss that at all, i got to say. <laughs> Especially as a podcaster commenting on things. I don't miss having to you know nitpick a story to death to the point where i don't like dissecting it where i don't enjoy it anymore so uh fair enough and you're right there's always a point at which you can go too far but i remember being very very caught up with that debate uh Mm. with flesh and stone um and and it it was overshadowed it was overshadowed by a fairly controversial conclusion to the story where amy throws herself at the doctor which uh, moffat has gone on record um since saying he wish he hadn't written it and i wish he hadn't written it as well but th- th- there is no such scene like that uh mm-hmm. within blink at all and um i would say the overall enjoyment of what is fundamentally a scary story mm-hmm. yes it does border on horror i think it goes for the you know the the jump shocks as well, with all of the angels. I, I don't know whether that's the correct term, but of jump scare is, I think, what you're talking jump about. Scares, but thank yeah, you. yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But you're absolutely right, and I think it does do horror, and I think it does do horror in in the perfect sense for Doctor Who. Like Doctor Who mm. has is very. Like, I don't think there's a classic story really that feels scary to me, but that's because I wasn't raised on Doctor Who, and I think had I been raised on Doctor Who as a child, uh, I probably would have felt differently about that series and you have to think of the feeling it creates in you as an adult in a slightly different way to the way it would have done as a child so horror of fang rock you've mentioned i mean it's got horror in the title right that is as as claustrophobic a classic story that you're likely to experience as an adult and were you watching that when you were 10 years old i would suspect that you wouldn't have been able to distinguish that feeling from that that you felt when you watched a horror show Correct. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, mm. like, I can think of three moments of true horror, like where I, as an adult watching Doctor Who, got scared. Blink is one of them. The Empty Child Doctor dances, particularly the Empty Child part, where I actually went, you know what? I'm going to have to turn the lights on while I'm watching this. I got legitimately <laughs> creeped in a way that I was so appreciative of. And then I was discussing recently on an episode of of Who and Company, just you know, like how Doctor Who isn't scary, but like the 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 truest moment of dread and fear that I've ever felt in Doctor Who was in um, Rosa, where you know it's not a monster. The police car just pulls up in uh, uh, when they're back in time, and I I felt genuine fear for the characters that I've never felt on the show, and that palpable feeling of dread exists, and they did it so well in that episode. But yeah, but it's a different type of fear, I guess. Um, yeah, right, I, yeah I, I would say that the latter example in particular is not quite the same kind of sheer horror that monsters. Right. Um, you right. Know, it's a different type been. of monster. But in, like that's the thing is how many of Doctor Who's baddies are just mad scientists and politicians who are trying to evoke some kind of, you know, challenge to the doctor, but like, you know, they always come off as being relatively goofy because they're people. You're, you're absolutely right. And the real challenge is is uh, for the writers to move them out of 
the caricature mode and uh, i i can you know you, you think of relatively recent episodes in fact the last episode uh, broadcast at christmas chris noth's character wasn't particularly memorable but again did did he, did he really extend or or reach outside of the you know stereotype box in 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 the way that someone like morbius did you know another generic villain perhaps but set in a horror story and in in many ways far more memorable so it's it, it, it's a really interesting subject actually what is it that actually gets into the minds of uh, Doctor Who fans or viewers and either terrorizes them scares them psychologically traumatizes them or just creates uh, a degree of such worry and consternation you know similar to that which you just described when watching Rosa you know right. there's it, there's got to be almost a menu of objectives as a writer you know, you, you're going to be choosing something to try and create in your audience um, and if you do go for a generic villain who's basically a baddie big baddie you can all root against how do you distinguish them how do you make them stand out and I think the answer to that is sadly many of them don't well, I think you hit on a really interesting point. As an audience, you know, how do you scare them? Well, it has to be either create something that just scares them at a whole cloth, right? Something like the Daleks that that no one was mm-hmm. expecting, something like that. It has to remind you of something. You know, it has to be we as an audience have to bring something with them. So, like, you know, Arachnids in the UK is probably terrifying for people with arachnophobia, right? Um, what Moffat does, which is so unique to Moffat, where Moffat goes, you know what you're not afraid of? blank you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna make you really leery of blank (laughs) statues they're terrifying cracks in the wall they're terrifying shadows terrifying like he wants to find the most mundane stuff and go this is gonna be scary another one um you know the force of the dead and silence in the library would have been another one of my choices as as one of my just all it's possibly one of the episodes that i've watched the most love that one again river song but just the concept of that want to mention something about Blink. Uh, not only is it a brilliant time travel story, but it has done something. So I watched Blink and I went, clearly I just watched Greatness. And I immediately went back and rewatched it. But what Blink does, it, no other television show has done because it makes the audience part of the programming. And, and I've talked with so many people who've watched Blink and don't understand this. It's like, you know, how do you stop the angels? You have to look at them. There's so many times in that episode where we see the protagonist looking in the opposite direction and the angel is standing behind them, arms raised, but hasn't got them. It's frozen in place. Why is it frozen in place? Because we, the audience, are watching the angel. We break the fourth wall and actually affect the events that are happening in the show. Can you name a single episode of any other program that does that. I cannot think of one. And I think that is the true understated, underappreciated genius of Blink. That yeah. as a viewer, I affected the episode. And that's nuts. That's insane. Who comes up with that? Who comes up with that and then doesn't draw attention to it? 
that that episode is brilliant. It's a brilliant point and not one that I'd heard before. But yeah, it, it's made me extremely keen to go back and watch now and um, look for those those particular moments. But uh, but that's quite a, a positive moment from which uh, to, to move on from. I think uh, so. Drew. So, so, so thank you for making me think slightly differently about Blink. Right, so moving into the world of audio drama and, and Doctor Who. And uh, Drew, you've been on the DWP far more times than I have over the last couple of years discussing audio stories. So I'm, I'm going to assume that uh, some of the big Finnish stories uh, have, have landed with you and uh, have made an impact. So which audio story are you going to choose for your Desert Island listen? I think the genius of Big Finish is that Colin Baker got a second chance. And I think Colin Baker's Doctor is, Big Finish Doctor, is possibly one of my favorite Doctors. So, of course, I was going to choose a Big Finish story involving Colin Baker and Evelyn Smythe. And I kept on thinking about it. I'm like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to choose the Pirates. Pirates is great. It's a great story. (laughs) But we just discussed the Pirates on an episode of the DWP recently. And and while I really enjoyed that story, I don't think it's one that I... I would want to listen to again in the near future. Uh, so I was going back and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I've chosen a story that the doctor, again, barely is taking a part in. It's very non-conventional uh, because what I've chosen is the all-consuming fire, um, which is a new adventures audio in mm. which the doctor teams up with Sherlock Holmes to fight Lovecraftian monsters. The doctor was standing in the window alcove. In his hands, he held one of Holmes's files. I recognized him at once as the man in the library with whom I had briefly conversed. Hmm. I will trouble you to put down that file. It wasn't Spink, you know. What? The terrible murder of the Atkinson brothers. Spink was innocent. The man robbed the world of justice by taking his own life. The case was simple, the solution obvious. Ah, but did you take into account the significant delay in the onset of rigor mortis in tropical climes? Holmes's face suffused with fury. I thought he was going to throw our visitor bodily through the window. Then, a strange thing happened. I... I see from your appearance that you... Your cuffs suggest... (laughs) That soil on your gaiter. I do not recognize it. Ah, a slurry of mud from Minaxus. Minaxus? I'm not familiar with the name. It must be a small village. Uh, Greek, I would venture. Minaxus is close to the Ripperian Cluster. Ripperian Cluster? There's no such place. It's told from the perspective of Dr. Watson, like any good Sherlock Holmes story. And Mm. uh, it is one that I go back to very frequently. In fact, when we were discussing the potential for doing a fiction read, I thought, well, there's only one that I'm going to go, and that's going to be the book, The All-Consuming Fire. But I came up with a different one I wanted to talk about for the for the fiction story. Uh, and so the audio, I think, is expertly done. Uh, so that is that is my pick. Good. There's not going to be a terrific amount I can say that's going to add to the detail, because I haven't heard that story. In fact, All-Consuming Fire... I thought was a seventh Doctor story. Oh, it is. It is. Uh, what I'm saying is I would have chosen Colin Baker, <laughs> but I couldn't decide on one. 
but you are right. It's a Seventh Doctor story, but it's a Seventh Doctor story in which that the Seventh Doctor doesn't really play a part in either yes, in the novelization yes, yes. or in the audio. Uh, but well, you, you say you say novelization. This is a new adventure, isn't it? Sorry, I meant to say no, uh, novel, not novelization. But yes, you're right. It's a new adventure. This is a story that has Bernice Summerfield, the the character who, speaking of DNA running through, it basically is River Song. Uh, you know, minus the the time traveling yeah. aspect of it. It really is a Watson and Benny story that that has that features Sherlock Holmes and the Doctor and Ace is in it too, which is really cool. And so, like like all of these aspects of of the show that I I kind of love. I'm not a huge fan of Sylvester McCoy's audio dramas. There's there's a quality to Sylvester McCoy that I mean, while I still love him as a human being and I love him as a Doctor, they're not my favorites. I'm, I'm, I think if I listen to those stories generally, the Peter Davison and the Sylvester McCoy stories don't translate as well to me. It's not against them. It's just, you know, as a as a listener. Mm. Well, I, I suppose that being the case, then choosing a story without the Seventh Doctor in it very much uh, is, is probably quite a sensible choice. But he's so good in this one. He's so impish and he plays off of because Nick Briggs plays Sherlock Holmes. Of course he does. Right. And the two of them playing off of each other so well. Andy Lane did such a good job with this story. Guy Adams does adaptation, so uh, they do such a good job taking that original story, which is a lot more complex and interwoven, and there's so many interesting ideas. Like, like I feel like, even though I've never met Andy Lane, I feel like he's wrote that novel for me. <laughs> I, I have. Um, I, I met him in a Fitzroy Tavern probably 20 years or so ago. Uh, but the story itself, All Consuming Fire, I know a little bit about. I know a little more, thanks to your uh, your, your summary there. Uh, I do have it. I do have the audio version, so it is something that I can visit. What's this story then, as far as you're aware, the first time that you know the world of Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Who were, were, were brought together? You, you can't really count Talons, I don't think. <laughs> well, you? I mean, I, I, Talons is, is 100% an homage to to Holmes I mean you know like think about it the doctor is wearing that outfit like specifically in in talons yeah. as as a nod and I'm assuming it's written before a lot of the big finish line actually came out and started Definitely. working because it's it's yeah. I think the story came out in like 94, 95, 96, something I, that I, would, I would have said from memory definitely 90s and big finish yeah. got going in 99 yeah so yeah it's this is before so mm. um the new adventures it's probably jumping off of that point and of course we have so many crossovers between the doctor and sherlock holmes once moffat gets on board right because he's doing both of those he's doing double duty or in some cases triple duty Mm. uh during that time period but yeah i think it this probably is very safe to say that it's the first direct one but it's such a it's such a part of doctor who because as we know the master was created to be the doctor's moriarty like it, there's no subtext to that. Like they said, we we wanted the Doctor as Sherlock Holmes. We wanted a, a character to play the part. So you know, there it's it's a the Master is both Moriarty and Blofeld, right? To <laughs> to the the third Doctor's James Bondian, yeah, story kind of arc. So it's there. It's it's yeah. it's it's very low hanging fruit, but this is done very well. And to use Watson as the storyteller makes this a Sherlock. I mean, Andy Lane is a, is a Sherlock Holmes author. I mean, like, he's written some great Doctor Who stuff, but he excels 
as a, a storyteller for Sherlock Holmes. And his mm. young Sherlock Holmes stories are brilliant. If you're a Doctor Who fan, you've got TV, you've got audios, you've got books, you've got comics. There's a lot out there for it. But the same is true for Sherlock Holmes. I mean, no other character aside from Santa Claus has been more represented in, in film or television. So, I mean, it's 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 a natural fit. And, and they mm. really do... Take it for all it's worth. The adventure of the all-consuming fire would take us beyond our planet entirely, across uncountable leagues of space, to the desolate, nightmarish world of Riley, with its sky of solid ice. Field report. Military log file Epsilon. I'm in position. I'm freezing. And hungry. And angry! Take me to all the best places, Doctor. And to think, all of this, an adventure spreading far out into the universe, began within the stacks of a library. Okay. All right, then. Well, that's uh, that's an interesting choice of audio. Again, uh, something else that you've kind of... uh, tickled my interest uh, so I will I will go back and take a look at that particular range there's there's, there's a number of new adventure adaptions that I have heard uh, Love and War um, mm-hmm. you mentioned Benny Summerfield again and I completely agree with your earlier point that she is essentially River Song, and I am absolutely certain that's who Moffat had in his mind when oh, he yeah. created the character uh, to the point actually I think after Silence of the Library had gone out I was absolutely certain she was Bernice Summerfield, and uh, it's it's interesting now. Uh, I think perhaps maybe two or three months ago, I heard an audio again, another big finish audio with the Eighth Doctor that featured both River Song and Bernice Summerfield, and it was really good. It was it was one of the best uh, kind of mashups, if you like, uh, that I'd heard for a while, and that was I think on the first story of the Legacy of Time box set. But uh, well, I'm going to have to find that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's uh, let's move on into your final two categories then, which we'll discuss together. Uh, and this is your choice for nonfiction and uh, a fiction book um, from from Doctor Who, from the worlds of Doctor Who. So, what have you? What what are you going for here? Let's do fiction first, because you had talked about not knowing much about my history as a mm. Doctor Who fan, and this choice uh, explains it all, uh, because I am choosing. Uh, the Doctor Who Classic Omnibus, uh, which is a collection of the early Doctor Who comics right. that became available in, in the U.S. really early on through Marvel Premiere. And this, James, was my introduction to Doctor Who. Not through the television show, but through the comic books. Right. So when I think of Doctor Who, I think of Tom Baker as the Doctor with K-9 Mark II and Sharon. That is the seed from which my fandom grew. Uh, Sharon Sharon okay. Davies is my first companion, and I cannot tell you how disappointed I was. Sharon wasn't an actual companion on the program uh, <laughs> because I loved her, and, and I loved K-9, and, and it was really weird to <laughs> kind of jump into that world and, and find that lack. When did the actual comic books or the stories, when did they, how far back do they date? So I'm a little iffy about when they showed up in the U.K., but they showed up in the in the mid '80s, uh, in the in the states. So, so I was very young. So I was probably mm. eight, nine, ten when I first got my hands on them. And so the first story that I had access to was um, Doctor Who and the Star Beast, 
which was written by Pat Mills and Dave um, Dave Gibbons did the artwork for it. The Dave Gibbons, like you know, like people talk about the Watchmen and they talk about Alan Moore's scripting and Dave Gibbons' art, but for me, Dave Gibbons is the Doctor Who guy. Like, like that's yeah, how I know I, him first. I don't know much about comic books at all. In fact, my only exposure really to comic books is through Doctor Who, uh, and that was mainly garnered through interest that was um, immediately apparent amongst the attendees of a Gallifrey convention that I attended over 10 years or so ago, where you had Tony Lee, who I'd never heard of in the past, right. who um, essentially IDW's um, writer for, for, for their version of um, a number of different doctors and their ranges of comic books. But to see the love and um, you know the, the kind of affection that the largely American audience had for, for these kind of stories made me think perhaps I'm missing out on something uh, because comic books are not big here. Um, you know, the, right. you have the story within DWM each month, but that really is about it. Um, everything else is imported uh, and it's still considered to be niche, I would suggest. So D- Dave Gibbons um, and Pat Mills are names that are, they are familiar to me, but it's only through my very, very brief flirtation with comic books. Well, um, you know, I'm a comic kid. I was mm. raised on comic books. I, I learned to read through comic books. Um, comic books were my first love and the longest running fandom that I have. So, you know, I, I, I'm a superhero kid, a horror comic kid, a Doctor Who comic kid. I have my collection at one point in time was ridiculous. Now it's maybe six short boxes, but I have hundreds of graphic novels, you know, which are the collected. It's similar to this omnibus which we're talking about so this this collects like 11 issues of the of the series mm. and it goes across the board a lot of them are tom baker stuff but the comics never address regeneration so i read the first say eight tom baker comics and then when peter davison's doctor starts showing up i stopped reading the comic because i didn't understand who this imposter was who they called the doctor i'm like <laughs> oh i've clearly missed an issue uh, I clearly don't understand what's going on. There, someone has taken over the doctors, and then like there's some seventh doctor stuff. And I'm like, I don't understand. I just dropped it, you know, whatever. Once the '96 movie came out with you know Paul McGann, which was my first episode of Doctor Who that I watched, um, and I looked at it and went, okay, regeneration's a thing. I then actively went out and grabbed the the '60s, the '70s, and '80s um, by. How and Company. And so just like, so I could understand the history of Doctor Who. I remember wondering, um, and I was curious to the point where I cared. So I must have been, I must have been at least partially interested in in the stories that were being told through comic books as to whether or not they operated in a kind of separate continuum or a different universe to those stories that were being told on TV. And I think, you know, whereas Big Finish, you know, it's debatable. You've got some stories that have been written deliberately to slot in between television stories. You know, it's clear that they're supposed to just plug that gap. You have got a completely separate timeline and an alternative um, set of stories, and that's the reason why you've got these companions who you didn't recognise or, or who you were notable by their absence. <laughs> but when you started watching them on 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 TV, and I, I I think that obviously gives the writers much more creative freedom, you know, because they're free from the constraints of the rest of the franchise. And I I think that could be interesting if they take advantage of it. And the stuff that I 
read which is moving away from the kind of book or the book that you've identified here but is is within the idw 10th doctor stuff and they were much more edgy uh, and they went to places which the tv series deliberately avoided and it was interesting following those storylines for those reasons but you could i kind of just say well it's a comic book it doesn't really count and that always kind of you know worked as a disservice to the medium of comic books because it made them irrelevant or kind of downplayed their legitimacy um and i, I, I think that's that. um that that was something that which they had quite a significant debate about at gallifrey uh, which i had absolutely no plot to pay or any contribution to make uh, because I, I didn't even know it was an issue um, but it, it comes back I think to the central concept of of canon which you could have an entire series of two-hour podcasts discussing um, and it would probably be incredibly dull uh, but there's an incredible amount of, um, of uh, subject matter uh, to, to get your head around there but uh, but comic books certainly um, I've got a number on my shelf. They have stayed on my shelf um, for a very long time. If I were to remove them now, it's got to the point where they would probably stick to each other because they've been up there for so long without being moved. Right, yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, possibly an unfortunate way of describing them, actually. I might... <laughs> I might, I might. <laughs> you, you enjoy a lot of comic books, but when you enjoy yeah, them, you yeah, really yeah. enjoy them. Yeah, well, the here's form. the... Th- <laughs> Well, um, you know, Moffat went on to say that as far as he was concerned, Doctor Who doesn't have canon per se. Everything everything counts and everything doesn't count. Um, you know, the show trips over itself constantly. And, and I think it's up to the viewer to decide what they, they want to accept. And, and that's fine. I, I will ask you one question. Again, it's Big Finish related, I'm afraid, but that's just because it's, it's, it, it's me. Um, there are some Fourth Doctor audios that are comic book adaptions and i have a feeling that maybe the iron legion i'm not sure because again yes. i've not listened to them uh but is 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 that part of the volume yes yes it, it is and have you heard that audio i have in fact um they they did two of those um for that collection they've only done two and the second one of is the star beast uh with Rianne starbuck as uh as as sharon and of course we we had Rianne on who and company to talk about it and i let me t- it's just like the to ha- I geeked out a little harder than I probably should have during that interview because, you know, it, it was like meeting my first companion or sort of like, yeah, it, yeah. No, they're good. Wow. They're really they're really well done. It's, it's hard to turn a comic book, which is a visual medium uh, specifically, uh, into an audio medium. It's, it's really an interesting conversion technique. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure. Um, and this is moving off the subject. I am sure, but you, you, I, I have heard it argued, and I have argued that actually the audio medium is the most visual out there. Oh, it is. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I think we have found the next couple of big finishes that we need to review on a, <laughs> on a DWP. <laughs> so we'll, we'll take a look at those perhaps in the next couple of episodes. But uh, but let's move on to the final category which is the non-fiction choice and right. i think i know what you're gonna say here oh well uh, I'm, I'm glad you do because this is this was by far the hardest one for me i'm gonna preface it by saying this i love listening and reading to people talking about things that they love it doesn't matter what it is 
you want to you want to enthusiastically talk about refinishing furniture, you know what? I'll listen to that because people talking about the things they love brings me a certain level of joy, which is why podcasting, for the most part, hmm. is something that I, a medium that I like being a part of. This episode is going to run long because I clearly love the things we're talking about. You can tell when <laughs> listen to me now talk about these these five things versus talking about something that I don't like. I don't really like listening to people talk about things they don't like because who wants to listen to that but most of the dwp audience i was going through (laughs) (laughs) well i'm glad you said it i went with running through corridors which is rob sherman and toby haydoke discussing doctor who from the beginning Uh, and there's only two volumes out of this and if i have to choose a volume i'm going to choose the future omnibus that collects all of them uh, <laughs> i'm sure that's they, a cheat <laughs> when they finally get around to doing it because you know yeah. i've got i've got volume one here um sitting next to me and it's it's one that i have not read and that's one of the reasons too i'm choosing it is because i haven't read it all the way through but there's something really fantastic about the concept the conceit of having a reading a non-fiction book that is a conversation a subjective conversation between two people. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's 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 thought provoking. Uh, it's informative, uh, and it's a really good introduction, I think, to the stories. Or maybe not an introduction, but a review. They they keep threatening volume three. You know, volume three has been written, uh, but uh, it's essentially a series of podcasts just in book format it's two people who know Doctor Who inside out who focus almost uh, exclusively on the positive elements of the show Uh, and both of them um, have got a very clear sense of humor Uh, and and therefore it's it's really fun to read I mean you say you haven't read all of volume one in all honesty these are not books that you start at the beginning and finish at the end no one does that with these books you you watch a story you think oh that's good I want to go and hear what somebody else uh, or, or read what somebody else thinks of it and you pick up the book and you read it that way um, it, it is a slight fallacy to say that they're uniquely pol- positive um, and, and I found this out to my detriment recently because um, Ian challenged me to, to watch a, a story that I'd not seen for ages and he'd never seen uh, and that's, um, that's The Mutants which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought that it worked on so many levels. I mean, yes, it was long, but you can say that about any six-parter, 1970s, if you watch one episode after the other. Um, and I went to read what Rob and Toby thought about this, and they castigated it. That's a shame. It was um, it was quite incredible. Um, it was the most negative set of comments I'd seen about... Um, Uh, a story i mean it was still witty it was still funny it was still upbeat uh but my goodness they didn't um their gloves were off uh particularly where it comes to rick james but uh Mm -hmm. it's they are great stories Uh, we'll say stories they are great commentaries and Mm -hmm. um it's certainly something that i'd recommend that any doctor who fan invests in um to say they're both relatively easy to track down at the moment they're not they're not these kind of books that go for about 50 quid each. Uh, you can pick them up off Amazon. Part of my deciding to choose this one over some of the other ones is, is they are readily available. And, 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 you know, I didn't want to recommend anything that people couldn't <laughs> then go, well, that sounds good. Maybe I'll give it a shot, you know. And I don't want anyone spending a ton of money. You know, I, I love that you found a story that they didn't like. Um, Toby's going to be our guest on the March 2021 episode of who and company so maybe that's something i'll bring up with him and see if oh, his no, opinion has do. changed in the five years since uh since they've written it 
Yeah, to- Toby's been on a DWP many times, so please do give him a hard time over anything. <laughs> he must have found a, a cheap way of storing his audio files. The amount of podcasts that that man produces at the moment is absolutely phenomenal. I, I know, I know. I'm having a hard time keeping up with his volume of, of output to prep for this for this podcast well, it's, so it's virtually impossible i would suggest but, uh, but there we go anyway drew it's been wonderful to catch up with you i feel like we've covered so many different areas uh which of course is the entire point of this particular segment it's it's nice to discuss different parts of doctor who i'm very much looking forward to seeing what our colleagues choose as well we have um who've we got left now i suppose we have brent uh brent hasn't um made his visit to the desert island yet and um now i'm going to feel bad about forgetting people ian i don't think has been there yet either so um those are future episodes uh listeners for you to keep an ear out for drew thank you very much indeed for the last hour or so oh yeah 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 i know that you had clearly no concept of how long this is going to run uh you've worked with me before so this is on you (laughs) bud thank you Thank you, Drew, and uh, thank you, James. That was a, a fascinating conversation, actually. And I was um, pleased to see that um, Drew mentioned Iron Legion. Oh, right. You're familiar with that, are you? Yes. Hmm. Um, I did read that particular comic strip back in the day. Dave Gibbons, as, as Drew mentioned, sort of most famous for drawing Watchmen, uh, you know, the great Alan Moore uh, uh, comic book. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I was a massive fan um, of, uh, of the Iron Legion, and I really got into it. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody in case you haven't read it or indeed listen to the Big Finish production. Again, that's something I have but haven't yet listened to. I've also got the Star <laughs> Beast, which uh, Drew mentioned there as well, actually. Yeah, I remember getting upset um, at one of the, for one of the characters when I was, when I was a child. Um, when I read it so oh yeah it, well, something it bad happens very, to them does it yeah it had a very very big effect on me oh actually right it really did um so yeah it's nice to see that um come come to the fore that's um <laughs> I've forgotten all about that until Drew mentioned it that was well, that was lovely I have to say um the, the conversations that I have with Drew uh, I, I I really enjoy it. It, it it's quite funny because I mean it's not uncommon for zoom to drop out and half the time drew mm. doesn't realize so he just carries on talking but the good thing about it is that he's recording it so I, yes. he, he just doesn't yes. know i haven't heard half of what he's said <laughs> and, and, and so when i edit it i go back and thought oh if i'd have known that then i would have said something else but whenever we have those conversations drew does give me a different perspective on something mm. uh, i'm sure i've mentioned his commentary on Aliens of London and World War Three before as part of the Nine Lives yes. uh, series we're running at present. Um, and, and I will never watch those two episodes again, thanks to Drew. In the same way, that is. <laughs> Sorry, I've never watched them in the same way. <laughs> this is a positive thing I'm describing here. Um, yeah. And uh, again, I, I've, I've instantly downloaded All Consuming Fire onto my phone um, because, yeah. again, he, he's just painted it and talked about it in a particular way that... Um, makes me want to make certain I'm not missing out on anything. And yeah, I, I just really enjoy the conversations with Drew. They're, they're, they're fascinating. 
Yeah, no, it was. It was. It was really, really, really fascinating. And I thought I've never. I didn't know that Big Finish had, had, had covered some of the new adventure. Mm. Oh or yeah, adapted, quite a I should few. say some of the new adventure titles. Yeah, because um, I've got to be honest, the, the new adventures were. I wasn't really sort of paying much attention to the Doctor during that period. I think it had gone off the television, and, and that and that was it as far as I was concerned. So um, the advent of the new adventures, and then Big Finish in in 1999, it all passed me by. Until the show came back in two thousand and five, and people were talking about Big Finish and mm. what? What's this? What is the? What are these audio stories? Um, so yeah, that that's that's how I got into Big Finish. Very very late in the day, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Well, it. I mean, Big Finish seemed to get everywhere: comic books, novel adaptions, stage plays, you name it. Um, I, I think they've just come yeah. up with. I mean, I think Russell T Davis during one of these tweet along specials said that he found an unused novel or script or something from nineteen eighty something or other. Um, sent yes. it across to Emily Cook, um, who. Discussed it. I, I'm getting all of this wrong, I'm sure. But basically, Big Finish have picked it up, and Scott Hancock is uh, is producing this untold RTD story. So, you know. yes, that's right, that's right. Yes, it, it is happening. It is actually happening. The name of the, the, the of this particular story escapes me at the moment. But all I do know is that it was written on a typewriter. Oh, if if you right. if you kids out there know what a typewriter is, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, fascinating stuff, um, and I can't help thinking that Big Finish at this rate are going to end up continuing um, for ever, uh, especially given their propensity to recast um, some critical parts at the moment, and they're doing it <laughs> yes. so damn well. I think Doctor Who is is going to be around for a very, very long time, courtesy of Big Finish, well, productions at the moment, incorporated soon, and uh, <laughs> they, they're going to take yes. over the world. <laughs> Phil, I think that brings us to the end of, of this episode of the DWP. As always, it's been wonderful to catch up with you. Likewise, likewise. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our nerdy, uh, bizarre, fun <laughs> conversations about Doctor Who. Do get in touch with us. Phil, this is your bit because I haven't written it down this week. Okay, so you can email us if, if you, that is your, your weapon of choice. You can email us at feedback at the Doctor Who podcast.com. Uh, you can also uh, message us on Twitter at the DR Who Podcast. And, of course, you can find us on uh, Facebook as well. And uh, if you would care to um, to do this, you can maybe maybe uh, leave us a nice little review on uh, Apple Podcasts as well. Wonderful, wonderful. We shall be back. Well, we'll be back with episode 321 in a month's time. But keep an eye out on the feed for eighth wonder it'll be heading your way very soon we'll keep you posted on twitter as to when these episodes are gonna drop but in the meantime phil listeners thank you very much for joining me we'll catch up with you very soon bye for now goodbye Nine o'clock on Wednesday, the 20th of February, 1980. Ah! Ah! I'm a monster. I'm a monster. Fudge! Ah! You're a wazzock. That's what you are. Nearly scared us to death. <laughs> M1000CM900LXX1X. That's a 
1979. Date of manufacture, 1979. That's now. Oh, gods, how I love war. Let my Iron Legion march forever, for only through destruction am I alive. Without it, I am a dead sea. Hyperspace jump completed. Planet Sol 3 in sight. That is where the radiation trail leads. It is, sir. Then pinpoint the target at once. I have conquered this town, the place they call Stockbridge. That's the last of the neck bolts, so all it needs is one good twist and a tug. Run, Shah, run! Fudge! I think he's crying. Don't get too close, he might have space mange. He was bleeding, remember? Why are they keeping us standing around? Because they won't with us, Viv. I don't know, Doc. Funny that. Still. Look on the bright side, they've not shot us. Surrender or be annihilated. I surrender, I repeat, I... Goodness, is that a chieftain? I am the only chieftain here. I meant the tank. Pretty Polly. Watch out, Mr. Morris. Hey, Doc, they're using backed guns on us. Hola. Big finish. I said, hola. We love stories. Look, whoever you are, the least you could do for a fellow whose space-time ship you shanghaied is hola back.